Throw this down for a catch. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Welcome to the Brewery Ministries podcast. This is the chosen retrospective series hosted by Nathan. Will you do us the honor, Rabbi? If that's where you keep the white sardines. Jason. Teacher, you have moved us all. John. Looks like we're not the only ones taxing the people. And Nick. It's the biggest pile of dung in all Capernaum. <laughs> this episode will contain spoilers. We recommend watching the episode before listening to the podcast. I'm on official business. Only Roman business is official business. Today we are discussing The Chosen, Season 2, Episode 4. This is Nathan. This is Jason. John. Nick. We are four guys. We come from different backgrounds. We have different perspectives on this stuff, which makes the conversation really fun. So today we're going to kind of walk through this episode. But first, we always, for an icebreaker, share what kind of beer we're drinking during the podcast. So what you guys got? Magical clear beer. I can't drink alcohol yet. Oh, yes. Because of your sinus surgery? Well, yeah. Sinus, ear, and throat surgery. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what did you have? Like a rhinoplasty? All the above. And they took my adenoids out. Aha. Uh-huh. The second time. Finger back. I you, thought they were remember, supposed you to make it prettier. Right? <laughs> you don't remember that, Nathan? Didn't we have like a whole Facebook discussion on that? Yeah, I know. But our <laughs> listeners don't know. So that's why I asked. Okay. Questions. I was like, is he forgetting stuff? Is that the right? No, no, it's not <laughs> COVID brain. I actually have COVID right now for our listeners. So this is, uh, I'm on the back end of it. I'm feeling better. But yeah, this is the most social activity I've had in a week. So Woo-hoo. because you look like you really didn't know you were like kind of looking there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just playing dumb. <laughs> I'm drinking Lana Kugel's chocolate dunkel. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds great. <laughs> that sounds very good. I have actually had their vanilla porter, and I don't That's really good. like their summer shandy that much. So I didn't expect that much out of the porter, but it was actually really good. So I will actually, since I'm home for Christmas break, so I'm just roaming around the house by myself. I will actually go to the liquor store, and some liquor stores will sell like things that one can at a, at a time. And I'll buy like 25 or 30 of them and just take them back and then just kind of sample them out whenever I want. <laughs> that, that holds them for that night. He has to go back the next day to get more. Well, yeah, it usually takes me a week or two. But yeah, I kind of live it myself. I only do two a day if I was like, crap, I got 25 cans and I can just slam through this. Two cases a day? Two, 20, no, no, just a lot of beer. I love places that will let you buy a single. They're kind of hard to find, but Rob's World of Beer in Wichita, they have like a whole huge selection of singles so i'll go in there and i'll make like a really obscure build your own six pack and i think one of the best ones i had in there was a cinnamon raisin stout by ballast point it was pretty interesting good. yeah they don't make it anymore though so i'm really bummed what do you got john coffee and water so i'm still at the office <laughs> is that john wayne coffee it's just plain black coffee so okay I actually have a Martin City coffee stout. It says love coffee stout. So that's interesting. It's pretty good, although I can't really taste it completely right now. I never really lost my taste 
with COVID, you know, but for some reason, beer doesn't quite taste normal. This is my first one since I've had COVID and I don't know, hopefully it'll get better as it warms up, but like, it's just missing something. So I know that when I had it before COVID, I liked it. So we'll see if that comes back. All right. Well, let's dive into this episode. The IMDb synopsis for this episode is, as Jesus, the disciples head to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, a new enemy follows them while a familiar enemy awaits. All right, this is the introduction of a new character. This is a mysterious disciple that there's not a whole lot of information about, Simon the Zealot. So when I read this, you know, these chapters as a kid, I actually didn't realize there were two Simons because this guy's only mentioned like a couple times. So whenever it said Simon the Zealot, I always thought it was Simon Peter. And I thought he was a zealot. And that kind of fit with the whole rough fisherman vibe, but they're actually two different people. So I actually found some background information on him and it is super confusing. Do you guys know anything about Simon the Zealot just off the top? I just now learned he's a disciple. So there. Well, you're not alone because apparently no one knows anything about him. I'm going to read like the five different versions of lore surrounding Simon the Zealot. All right. So encyclopedia.com says just for the definition of a zealot, a zealot was a Jewish revolutionary in the first century Israel whose religious zeal led them to fight to the death against the Roman domination and to attack or kill other Jews who collaborated with the Romans. So that's one theory. Like the zealots are kind of this anarchist type of group that's against Rome. However, some scholars like don't jihadist. agree. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But mm-hmm. some scholars don't think the zealots appeared until like the Greco-Roman War around 70 AD. It seems that's the minority opinion. So some people say, well, he can't be an actual zealot like the political party because they didn't exist till later. They they say that uh, zealot meant like a follower of the Moses law, like the Torah and stuff. Somebody who's like super dedicated to Moses's law. But that seems strange to me. What do you think? I actually found this, that whole training and stuff he did, because I remember reading, I've read it a couple of times, I can't think of where I got it from. It was making reference to maybe the first terrorists or first actually suicide attackers were actually Jewish zealots, and they would like jump in a crowd and stab the Romans. Of course, they would sacrifice themselves. And so I just thought this whole building up to that was actually like, oh, wow, okay. You typically don't see that in some of the, I think they kind of sugarcoat the whole Jewish experience, not realizing that there is these types of people. There is that, you know, fundamentalist mm-hmm. element also of that group as well, just like you see in any other religion. And so it was, I just thought that was interesting. I actually like this one. Actually, I thought it was one of the, the better ones. I think he's had a lot of things going on. I mean, you got, I mean, the kid fell the tree, you got his family dynamics, you got Jesus, you got the zealot dynamics. You got the Roman dynamics. I mean, they're sitting there gossiping about the, apparently the anti-terrorism guy. You just had a lot of things kind of going on. I really, I thought the storyline was stayed on topic the whole time. Yeah. Does this, does this story come from the New Testament? Uh-huh. I guess it has to. It's got Jesus in it. Okay. I guess I was surprised that like this type of story existed, you know, kind of like Jason referenced the whole jihadist type thing. You know, I, I honestly, I didn't even know, even after watching the episode that Simon the Zealot was a disciple. So, you know, I see this guy going off and doing all this training and stuff, and you, you, know, you can see he's getting extreme discipline and focus on something. I thought that was kind of cool. 
Uh, yeah. I was referring to him. I was I was referring to him as like a Jewish commando or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. It seems to be the most common tradition that he was actually this anarchist assassin type of dude, right? That's what a zealot was. But there is that minority of opinion that believes they didn't exist until later. And that zealot in this case was just somebody really dedicated to the law of Moses. But there's that's a smaller camp and some scholars don't agree. So I tend to lean towards he's actually an assassin. Otherwise, you just have this big party of zealots pop up like right when the war starts. It makes more sense to think that that group existed in some capacity before a little bit earlier, you know. And then they just maybe became more well-known during the war. I don't know. I would agree with that. Go ahead. I I was just going to say, I I would agree with that that assessment as well, Nathan, that it it makes sense to me that that's kind of the the course of events. I did like hitting on Jason and Nick's comments as well. I did like that they showed kind of that training and upbringing. I thought that was really cool because it, it almost gets into like this paramilitary mindset and, you know, borderline of brainwashing to some extent where they're so isolated. This is all they think about. This is what they do day in and day out. And they go out with an objective or a mission and, you know, it's complete it or never come back. I thought that was interesting. Two, two things real quick. One is Moses law. So basically just the law from the old Testament. Yes. Like the, the 10 commandments. Okay. The 10 commandments. Plus five were, books, right? Yeah, in the first five books, there's the Ten Commandments plus six hundred and fifteen or six hundred and thirteen cultural laws. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I, to to what John was saying though, and Jason too, it's cool that they showed that. And all of the things that I've seen, uh, religious portrayals, I've never seen this guy in this storyline. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. I did too. Like I said earlier, I didn't even think he existed. I thought he was Simon <laughs> Peter. You know, I wonder if it's, intention, if it's intentional. I mean, sometimes I think we look at religion, you kind of want to whitewash it. I think sometimes modern day Christianity wants to whitewash it. It's so good, but I think it might be intentional. They they know this guy was a zealot. He was a you know jihadist type. That's a different religion. I mean, you can see there the correlation. He sees Romans beating people up. That kind of changes his mind. We all know that that type of behavior actually causes these fundamentalist groups as well. And so I think there's always this effort to kind of whitewash the Jewish population to think they're always the ones being beat up. They're always the ones being repressed. Not that there's actually a violent element to them as well. Do so I think, think I must wonder if there, I was wondering if, that's, if there's not a lot about him. I wonder if that's by design. Do you think that that's part of the reason some scholars think that he was like a zealot was just someone committed to the Torah because they're actually trying to clean up the disciples image a little bit and say, Oh, they can't be anarchists and they can't be slitting Roman soldiers throats. I think it's if you ask them, if you ask if you run the street and said what's a zealot, I don't think most people are going to say a jihadist type or a terrorist or a trained assassin. They're going to think this guy's just a fanatic. You know, he just has his view and thinks about it, and he's not necessarily training the ground and slit throats. So I think that is. But if you look at the, like you said, the definition of a zealot is totally different than what the average person thinks it is. Yeah, John, are you thinking what I'm thinking? What's that? Starcraft, Protoss zealot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I, I think, though, I don't know if it's really been whitewashed, maybe downplayed, but I don't know how prominent that sect of Judaism has been historically. I, I think, you know, maybe at one time there may have been 
you know, obviously if there's a war going on or something where you're being extremely oppressed, like that calls in more people into that cause. But I don't know. I, I don't know how prominent it really was. I don't know if we ever will. You know, Nathan, this plays into the question you asked on your brewery ministry page, who writes history? And someone said the victors, right? Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So I'll read what I'll Interesting also with this whole, again, modern times, if you look at, you see three different groups of Jewish people, they all don't think the same. You got Jesus, you got Shmuel and his group, you got the Zealots. So you got three groups right there of Jewish that are, are clear, different views, different interpretations. Not to mention some of the pagan stuff like the fountain bubbling up and all that type of stuff there. So I think it's another thing. I know sometimes people think that the whole the Jewish population, except for just a couple of groups, are all the same. You kind of have the same things there as what you have today. I mean, there's different groups thinking different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not all cohesive. They have you know problems. Well, you're going to see that exact point come up later between Simon and his brother because they're debating whether or not it's okay to kill somebody according to scripture. And they're like, we both know what scripture says, but Simon thinks it's okay to kill in this case, and his brother doesn't. And that's an interpretation debate right there. Mm -hmm. And they're both trying to religiously follow what they think scripture says. So that's, that's really interesting. So you want to hear the rest of the background I have on Simon the Zealot? (laughs) We got through point one. Yeah. (laughs) So later tradition, this is from 1299 AD. So it's, it's so late. I mean, that's 1300 years after, you know, Jesus was born. I tend to kind of take stuff like that from a grain of salt if I take it at all. But it says in the apocryphal Arabic infancy gospel, I'm just going to say right now, I have no idea what that is. (laughs) A fact related to this apostle is mentioned. A boy named Simon is bitten by a snake in his hand. He is healed by Jesus who told the child, you shall be my disciple. So that's another version of how Simon recruits or Simon is recruited by Jesus. So I think it's interesting that the show dismissed that origin and did not show that. So that that must mean that the the panel of scholars they used to write the show didn't think that that was a legit origin or couldn't be verified. So there's like five different versions of his death, which is a little concerning. So I think this type of thing basically shows the importance like even for a christian to to like retrace like look stuff up and see if if that's really what it originally said or not the most widespread tradition is that after evangelizing in egypt simon joined jude in persia and armenia or beirut lebanon they're both martyred in 65 ad they may have also suffered crucifixion as as the bishop of Jerusalem. According to Eastern tradition, Simon traveled to Georgia on a mission trip, died in Abkhazia, and was buried in Nicopsia. Christians of Ethiopia claim that he was crucified in Samaria, while Justice Lipsius writes that he was sawn in half. Now, there is a bunch of ancient artwork of him being sawn in half, and I looked up some pictures. That's pretty disturbing. But Yeah, another tradition says that he was involved in the first Jewish-Roman War, 66 to 73 AD. But the most common tradition says that is later than he died. I guess they say 65. So basically what I get from all that stuff is nobody knows. (laughs) Like, there's five versions of his death. 
at least, and they're all in different countries. There's three different death methods. I don't know. I find it a little weird that there are so many different stories about this guy. I'm going to guess it's because nobody knows anything about him. But what do you guys think about like just the amount of versions of this? Like William Wallace. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, are we confident this guy is real? I think we're confident he existed. Well, as as confident as you can be. I mean, I I think he existed, but I think like like the story where that we watched for today, they don't actually know anything about him. So they give you a picture of what a zealot is, not necessarily what this character as an individual was. Okay. So something that's kind of interesting about that, that aspect too, especially playing out in this episode, is and not to get too far ahead, but in the episode, Jesus specifically asked Matthew to go with them, who's supposed to be this great note taker, yet we really don't have a lot of information on a new character that's coming in and joining the group. That's kind of weird. Hmm. That's a good point. And actually, he doesn't take notes. Somebody, one of the other ones take, jot some stuff down. Right. Matthew just kind of stands there. I got, I got things to say about that, but I'm not trying to get ahead. Okay. So that's for later, huh? Foreshadowing. Yeah. All right. So we don't know too much about this guy, but basically, yeah, we're getting a generic picture of a zealot, I think. I actually like this character a lot, so I'm kind of bummed that there's not more historical information about him. But we see him and his brother in the opening scene. There's a montage of them as children. It looks like the mother dies, and then one of the boys is paralyzed. So th- this was a pretty long montage. I was watching this one on YouTube and I-, I switched to the app after this episode, but the only copy of this I could find on YouTube since they used to do live stream events where they show the episode, right? Well, there wasn't one for this episode. I don't know why. So I had to find this like low quality, poor video quality version of the episode on one of the Mormon YouTube channels. That's all I could find. So just the way this episode started i was like this isn't really the chosen is it and then like five minutes in there's the theme song so i found out it was but yeah what did you think of this opening that's actually how i watched it i got on net on my ruku i got the the brigham young the mormon app downloaded and it's free on there so okay gotta get the chosen app (laughs) i thought the interesting was been quite a while telling the story of this guy's life here, you know. And so I was kind of thinking, where they going with this? And I, I kind of felt sorry for the guy a little bit. I mean, because I mean, everybody's walking, you know, people getting married, you know, just living life, and he's kind of stuck there, realizing he's never going to get married or never walk or never do these things. And so I think it, you know, it just kind of wears on him year year after year after year. I mean, ends up at the fountain. I, mean, I think it's kind of you can't not feel sorry for the guy. Stupid fountain, man. I'm not sure he'd break it. I'm not sure why he's paralyzed. It didn't look like he fell that far from the tree. I'm just going to... Couldn't hit a rock. Who knows? Could have fallen funny. That is interesting. I mean, our people aren't typically born paralyzed, are they? He climbed the tree, so he must have been paralyzed. Yeah, he he, he fell, and that's how he got paralyzed. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. COVID brain. Yeah. Well, actually, it's been like 10 days since I've seen the episode. So I, I read my notes, but I didn't have that part in there. It'd been like five weeks for me. I, I had to rewatch it before the before this. I, I rewatched it before we were going to podcast last time. And then uh I was like, oh, okay, I've seen it twice. I'll be good. Apparently not. <laughs> I, I will say the opening though, I was concerned. Sorry, Jason. I was concerned that like this was gonna be a boring, like 
children in the field type episode, but they got going, man. <laughs> Lucky you, we got swords and daggers. He's like, crap, man. Here we go with the kids again. <laughs> kids in the field, man, under this thatched roof that they're building. And All right, so next we see Atticus. So he's basically a, what, a Roman detective? I can't remember who he works for. Can we call him a Roman badass? That's what yeah. he is. <laughs> he looks like eternal. To me, it's like well, they, they called him a marshal. The sergeants did, or the Romans was, did, because they're yeah, they're it's like, like secret sure what to call him. Yeah, Praetorian. I'm making this up. I mean, he obviously I has some authority because he's. I mean, they're all they really want to talk to him. And he more or less chastises the guy when he lets when he doesn't really do a good job with Simon. So I was in my mind, I'm thinking this guy, yeah, secret police, counterterrorism, you know, eternal affairs, kind of all mixed in together. Yeah, he's a pretty important dude. I thought he was like a private detective, like for hire. Well, Maybe the Romans I'm... talk about him there when they're crucifying people. They're, they say, have you ever seen one of those guys? And he goes, well, maybe you've seen one, you haven't seen one. And they were kind of talking about, about oh, him. Yeah. So he obviously works for the Romans. Yeah. And he's trying to stop an assassination. Apparently somebody's going to assassinate the Roman magistrate. Did you guys yeah. notice before, before I forget, the crucifixion scene, the crucified people. There's always a debate of how they crucified him, if their hands are up like this or side. But I noticed it. I actually paused it. They have him crucified, you know, like we'd expect. Like a T-shape? But Like the T-shape. But on that there, they actually had they actually had their arms tied also to the to the beam. Yeah. And so I was, thought that was kind of, okay, that's probably, you know, more realistic. Because just a debate, probably, you know, a nail through your hands would hold your weight or not. So as There's far as a- I know... In that culture, like the word hand actually meant the whole arm and where they actually put the nail was more like in your forearm, because you're right. The hand probably would not hold a person's body weight. There's a I think it's a Mythbusters episode where they they tested it. And it's like all of the there's there's so much space in your hand that it it just wouldn't hold your weight. And they actually tested it. they, They showed that it was like here was the strongest part where they were getting them. Oh yeah, yeah. But but I would think that would knock you out pretty quick because that's a pretty solid vein area. But like right, I I don't know, right behind the wrist in the forearm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seems like it'd be well. It's just interesting because it's always this debate. I mean, you got all these different people with all these different answers, and I almost think there wasn't a consistent way that they did it. I mean, I read some stories where holes were pre-drilled in the wood already. Maybe just wherever fit fit. I mean, he had this one here. If his hands were nailed. If he was also tied, as it showed, I mean, plus, if you look at the forearm, I mean, hammering a nail through that, it's going to be pretty labor intensive also. And so, I mean, it's just, I just thought it was interesting to, you know, I even had like a little step for their feet and they're actually, how they were sitting there. I mean, of course, there's some stories that I'm actually breaking people's legs to make them hurt more. And I don't know, I just was, for some reason, I just kind of focused on that crucifixion scene. Like, oh, okay, this is, that's how they thought it was done in this stock, in this one here. Oh, you know, I broke the legs. You know why they break their legs? Let's speed up the process a little bit. Yeah, because people actually die from suffocating, not from blood loss. The weight. So yeah. they had to use their feet to push up to open up the lungs to take a breath. But if the soldiers broke their legs, they can't do that anymore. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. You know that they're walking by and they're there's like they're just like moaning. They're like, uh I would think like if you're walking by people getting crucified. It's going to be a straight up house of horror sound. Like it's, it's not going to be like. Uh... Dude, don't you think it was weird that people like camp out there and picnic and watch that stuff? I mean, yeah. like this is a totally different type of society. It'd be like if we did 
lethal injections in public nowadays. But, but except yeah, it takes like twenty four hours. No, they did. Hangings, hangings and lynchings. People went and watched hangings and lynchings. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a different way of living, I guess. I, mean, I I was reading an article recently about like I think it was France that used the guillotine up until like the nineteen seventies. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Shoot them, man. That's nasty. <laughs> it's quick. I mean, it's it's humane. I guess. I mean, all right. So after we meet Atticus, we see this scene between Yanni and Shmuel in the market. So Yanni basically shoves Shmuel out there and tells him to street preach, right? And he's afraid. I thought this was funny because Yanni is praying some kind of Jewish blessing prayer, and it's for life-threatening circumstances. I guess that just tells you how disliked the Pharisees are at this point in time by, by the public, or that they're scared of them. What did you guys think of this? I thought it was pretty comical as well. I thought Schmel's reaction to it was pretty funny too because as soon as he knew what what was going on and like what prayer was being said he's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa what what are you doing <laughs> like why do we need this <laughs> i guess you could get stoned to death if you say the wrong thing in that culture you know although they probably can't just do it on the spot they probably have to bring you before somebody and ask what like there's a process i think we're seeing through this show that's a pretty quick scene all right, so now Atticus is going to catch on to Simon the Zealot. Simon is traveling, and he he says he's going to visit family at basically a check-in point with the Roman soldiers. Well, nobody lives in the zip code that he gives. It's a public forum. It's the pool that we're going to see. So Atticus is on to him. Now let's fast forward to, we see the disciples they're at dinner. It looks like they're having a feast. They're celebrating one of the Jewish feasts. What Spot. do you guys think of this scene? Yeah. It seems like they get together. They always start talking about how bad they had it. I mean, every time they eat. I mean, they did the last scene, too, and then this scene. And, of course, it was, I mean, Jesus, poor guy, is trying to sit down and have his meal. It's like a million questions. They're were asking him. He's like, any more questions? And I was waiting for him to say, because the food's getting cold or something. Uh. So he's going <laughs> to... They talk about the, the Zechariah scripture, that this is the, that time, right? Mm. They talked about that in the camp. Froze again. I, I think I remember I, that. I froze. Okay. Yeah, they talked about the Zechariah scripture when they were at camp, but I don't remember what they brought up in this scene. Well, so the, they were talking about, they were, all, they were all eating, and they're like, hey, so eventually. Yes, he froze up again. And they're like, even our enemies? Yeah. Yes. Well, they're all going to come together. Everybody's going to eat. Shabbat, Shabbat, all nations, all people. Yeah, they ask, like, what's it going to take for us to be sitting here having this feast with our enemies? And they almost seem upset that their enemies would be at that table having that feast with them. Right. That's where the whole comment came in, in terms of everyone's wandered in the wilderness at some point, because that was the argument is, you know, how, how are we equal when our people have gone through all of this and now we're supposed to include everyone else? that hasn't gone through what we've gone through or the troubles that we've had. I thought that was an interesting conversation. Yeah. We got a little Matthew there trying to, he was fixing to calculate how it's not possible for everybody <laughs> to be in Jerusalem at the same time. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, so he's that's, just like, well, I don't think it's the Jerusalem you're thinking, Matthew. That is interesting to find a story about like forgiving your enemies in the Old Testament. Like your your enemies of you know that you're at war with. That's 
Interesting. I mean, that's typically something we think of as like a New Testament teaching. So I, I find that is interesting to discover that that theme was actually back there in the old story. You think it means enemies or just non-believers? I think it means both. Because he says everybody was in the wilderness. Says, I took it as everybody was lost at one time until they found their way. Well, in the New Testament, oh, there is a scripture that says, love your enemies. Because Jesus will say that in his Sermon on the Mount that he's writing during these early episodes in this season. But that's built off something in the Torah. Yeah, it's basically a, a rewording of something in the Torah. And I, I was surprised to discover that. I thought these feasts and all these rituals they do are interesting because then I thought, well, these are basically like memory exercises. Like every year they got to do this to remember this. And it'd be, I guess it would help you remember stuff. And they even built like, did you catch that line about, they actually built a poor roof for their, their feast so that they could like remember what it was like to be an Israelite in the wilderness and have a bad roof. I thought that was funny. So it would leak on them when it rained. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got the quote here. I think Jesus says, one day our enemies will celebrate our feast with us. Romans, Babylonians, Gentiles, Assyrians. And then they say, what would have happened in order for that to be possible? So Babylonians were the people who carried the Jews off to slavery. And Assyrians were, I think they were basically like killing the people as they left Egypt and stuff like that, like picking people off in the back as they're traveling. Yeah, so those are people they were directly at war with. So it's interesting. All right, so on to the pool. Did you guys know the story? This is kind of an obscure story. I didn't know the story of it. I mean, there's all kinds of stories about ancient people thinking that pools have healing factors and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I just kind of, yeah, okay, it's like possible. It kind of falls in. It's obviously some kind of a spring. So this is from John chapter five. and. There is a missing Bible verse in that chapter. Do you guys, does either of you have a Bible in front of you? John chapter five, verse four is missing in a lot of Bibles. Like it just goes verse one, two, three, five. The missing verse is what this part of the show is built off of. So the missing verse says this, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So that part is missing from most translations. In the New International Version, there's a footnote that tells you what the missing verse is. Why so, is it missing? I don't know if anybody knows for sure, but one of the predominant theories is John didn't believe this. This was a superstition because the show is going to make the point that Oh, that's a pagan belief, right? So my question when I read this was, is this something I'm supposed to take as an actual Bible story, or is this a superstition of the day? The show sided with that it's a superstition of the day. Scholars, I think, think that that verse was added later. They say John didn't want to like bring credit to the superstition because they don't think he believed it, so he didn't explain the pool. And an editor later was like, well, modern readers aren't going to understand what John's talking about. So we're going to insert this verse to explain what's happening at the pool. However, it says an angel of the Lord would come down, and stir up the waters. It doesn't say a superstition was. It says this is what happened. So that that is confusing to me. 
So I don't feel like that theory is airtight. I don't know. I, I think, uh, Jason, you're right, though. This was a common type of belief at the time. So, yeah, tell me your thoughts on this. So were people actually, I mean, getting healed? I mean, if you're sitting there, I'm sitting there, and I see the first, okay, this person's the first person he crawled in. He didn't get healed coming out. The second person got in there first. He didn't get healed. I mean, it has to be, I mean, something's going on there. People want to believe that people are getting healed or something. I mean, I'm just kind of curious on that. I mean, if you're, does that make sense? I mean, yeah, I think about if you don't it. see people getting yeah. healed, then why are you, why are you going to sit there? Yeah. Well, I, I think I would kind of equate it to like tuberculosis patients with hot springs around the turn of the century where, you know, you go to these centers uh, and, you know, you go soak in these hot springs and they make you feel better. And oh. it might, it might, and there may be a placebo effect with that combined, mm. you know, if you truly believe that this is going to make you better, depending on the ailment, you may walk out of there feeling better, but it doesn't mean that you're healed, I guess. There's also examples in, in medicine over time where things happen. We could call them miracles, but like with tuberculosis, they would send them out to like what, Colorado or something? Because mm -hmm. it was special water and, and some people would come back healed. Well, you know, maybe the human body just did a fantastic thing. And maybe that's what we've seen with this 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 pool is you know, maybe one or two people. You got a point there. I mean, if it's an illness like tuberculosis or, you know, you got something and somehow you think you're healed, I guess that's more reasonable than to say you're paralyzed. And I guess now I think of the scene, the people that were paralyzed who couldn't walk actually just got walked all the time. So they never actually made it through the pool. I think that's an important distinction, too, is that the miracles that are documented with Jesus are ailments that at that time people didn't recover from. You don't go your whole life being paralyzed and then stand up and walk. You're not a leopard and then go talk to some guy that says, hey, you're good. And then turn around and your family sees that you're healed. I don't know. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah, my that's, tangent. <laughs> that is, a, it is an interesting view to think that a, like an angel is basically the agent of healing in this story or superstition. That's, that's different. I can't think of a comparable story in the Bible where an angel heals somebody. So that is interesting. It's maybe it's left out because it's inconsistent. Um, this does bring up the subject of contextual editing, because I guess like scholars will edit things for clarity. I know there's a lot of, some people believe that people will insert false things into the Bible and they did that and they got in there. And, you know, that's why there are miracles in the Bible or things like that. But if this, if this were a case where an editor tried to clarify, that is something that happens. Like they try to make it so a modern reader can make sense of it. That's the the opposite end of, of the spectrum of inserting false information. It's inserting true information that just makes it make more sense to a modern reader. Makes me think of Thomas Jefferson. Oh, yeah? Tell me more. Because you're talking about, you're Thomas Jefferson, our founding father. He actually didn't believe in miracles. He actually cut out all the miracles of the Bible because he thought it was false. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I mean he so he... And so when you talk about, you know, people thinking those things were inserted falsely, I think he's, he's actually one of them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I mentioned it, but I don't know what to do with this story, with the inserted verse. I, I don't know. So I basically just say I have no idea, like, you know, how to take it. But ultimately, the, the, I don't think it really matters because the, the what's more important is the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. 
So with with the dude, not the pool. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the scene where Jesus heals him? Are you asking me or is that rhetorical? <laughs> so I'm asking discussion. all you guys. Yeah. Okay, so I'll a couple things on this scene. One, so the Pharisees are sitting there. They don't know this guy's Jesus. I mean, they're all looking like, oh, who's this dude? You bopping along. And so then they're literally sitting there. They see him heal the guy. You seem to be a little bit more fuss about that. I mean, the only guy that's actually, of course, the guy that got healed and the other looks like the other handicapped guy also. And so I thought there'd be a little bit more reaction or something to it. I mean, just. Mm. Yeah. Instead of like, like they, they, the miracle doesn't even seem to register to them. Right. Yeah. Which I think was at the intent of Jesus after he walks off. I mean, it seems like that's what his intent was to show up there in the open and heal someone out in the open. Just to, what do you say? Sometimes you got to turn the water or something. Stir the water. So well, let, let me let me ask a yeah. logical question here. Okay. So you're I believe what you're saying is Jesus went in there, he picked this dude because he was quote been there the longest and he shouldn't have been there. And he heals them. And the the thought process is public display is going to get people believing and thinking about Jesus. My logical question is when dude man gets up and walks away with his bed, the other people who've been there around a long time and have seen this guy. They're going to be pissed. Why did he get healed? Why am I not healed? Like, I would think you'd have an army of cripples and sick people just chasing after Jesus, trying to kick some serious ass. Like, to be completely blunt, it's bullshit. This story, this this exact story is my fundamental issue where I struggle with Jesus as a whole. Like, why, why this guy? Why not the 20 other people? Like, heal all these people and then whip it out and be like, boom. It's interesting you bring it up because I think sometimes that's a criticism. I think of modern Christianity is they only think about themselves. You know, this guy got healed. Why didn't I get healed? Instead of just saying, hey, I'm happy this guy got fixed, you know, having some joy that someone else got healed instead of you. You kind of go back and start thinking about me, 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 which I think is kind of the flaws, I think, when it comes to modern day Christianity. It's, it's all self-centered approach. So I, I, I get that, like, you're, ultimately, Jesus is trying to spread the word that, like, if you follow his ways... You will find yourself into a better world, right? If I understand correctly. So Jesus is not there to make everyone happy and healthy and great. He's preparing us for the the next life. And if we do well in this one, we get to the next one. But like, I don't know. I feel like if you've got these powers, why not do more with it? This is a good question. I guess with the Bible stories, the way they're written, more stuff could have happened and we just don't know. Of course, there still is the valid question, like, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? But in this case, it does look funny because they march in there and they heal one guy. I guess you could say... Literally step over and around people to get to this guy. So that could be a bad look. Um, It could have happened different, you know, at the time. When they wrote the story in the Bible, the focus could just be like that one guy because he'd been there so long. But yeah, I mean, that, that still is the same question a lot of people have. Like, you know, I know people who have got cancer. Why aren't they being healed? That is a very difficult issue. And I don't really have a good answer for it. But I think part of this, too, also plays into a bigger picture and a bigger plan is healing. What was his name? Jesse. I think that's the mm-hmm. cripple, cripple guy's name. Healing him set into motion everything else that happened in the episode you know, with the assassination attempt and and everything else, that one act had ripple effects that changed the course of the rest of that day and changed other people's lives. So I don't know. If 
if, if I think about it as like, like, okay, so these stories, these aren't like literary folklore. Like this is some aspect of this is, is historical. So the four of us are just chilling by the swimming pool. There's a couple handicapped dudes and they step around and over us. This random dude walks in with this crew of idiots, walks up to one, one handicapped dude. Please. And then, Hey man, you missed us. You missed a few. You want to, you want to come back and finish the job? Like that's where my head would go. So I'm just trying to think historically, like what, what the hell, how, how did he make it out of there alive? Like, are they all crippled? And they couldn't get to him quick enough, or what? If you look at it, I like the, I can agree, agree with John a little bit. I mean, there is a kind of a method to the madness there. I mean, he heals Jesse, so obviously he changes Jesse's life. It changes Simon too, because Simon's fixing to assassinate someone. So I mean, it changes him. The Pharisees now are getting out what he just did, so there has an impact on them. And I think Atticus too. Atticus is there wondering what the hell happened. You know, you know this guy's you know crippled brothers walking around. He's be bopping along. So I mean, you got. There's a bunch of different ways that this can kind of go, what Jesus did getting out, you know, just from the Jewish aspect to the Roman aspect to just the personal aspect of Jesse and Simon. We've heard right. a lot of dominoes fall, yeah. Roman intervention in some of the other episodes where he's drawn a crowd and ticked off the Pharisees already to where, you know, now not only is he in danger, but he's also putting his entire crew in danger as well. But- I don't know. But was it not the last episode where he was literally like in a carnival booth, walk up and I'll heal you? Yeah, so countryside. It was it was yeah, away from the city though. I was being sarcastic, but you get the point. Well, the reason it's hard to compare <laughs> this episode to the last one, take take these are two different situations because the last episode it follows like what's written in the Bible a little closer because like there are these situations where he stays out there until he reaches his limits, like until he's exhausted, and then he withdraws, right? But this episode, this healing pool is not actually connected historically to Simon the Zealot. That's a liberty that the show took. So, oh. so there, there are several stories like, like the one from last episode where, you know, Jesus is still human. He, when he gets exhausted, like he heals, he does what he can with the crowd, and then he goes away to pray and re-energize. So they they portray it different where he just comes up to this one guy and heals him and leaves everybody else there and he's gone. But this is this is the way this episode was written, not necessarily how the story was in the Bible. That makes sense? Yeah. That so makes so sense. they took they took more liberties to connect this story to Simon the Zealot when, you know, we don't know who this guy at the pool was. And it never says this was his brother. So I guess I could ask the question, that could be confusing for some people. Does that bother you, that they connect those two characters? So in the Except Bible, I don't, the think the, I don't think the, the, the tent of the scene was the actual healing. The tent of the scene was the effects from that healing. Yeah, Dominoes recruiting. The domino effects. It was to reach Simon, because that's the only thing. In, in this episode, the only thing that would reach Simon the Zealot was if he saw his brother walk. So... They use that, but all of that is, you know, historical fiction. I don't think he just, I don't, I didn't take it as he just met Simon, though. I think he met the Romans and also the Jewish people both. Oh, yeah. Because the Pharisees right. and Atticus, they're going to go investigate what happened. They're going to say, why, why did the Pharisees are going to investigate this guy's healing people? Who, who's this? And Atticus is going to wonder why this trained assassin just all of a sudden stopped what he was trained to do and walked off. So he's going to go investigate too. So yeah. I think this scene there wasn't actually the healing that was actually the, the agenda there was. The after effects of it, you know, the dominoes mm-hmm. couldn't place. Well, to get to your question, 
too, in terms of like, if it bothered me at this point in the show, no, it doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Episode one, it bothered me a lot. (laughs) So I think you cut out when you asked the question, but for my understanding, the Bible doesn't relate explicitly the zealot to Jesse. Correct. Okay. They're making up lore because nobody knows anything about the zealot. (laughs) (sighs) Dirtbags. So that's what I was asking, because does this bother you? Because you're trying to figure out the story. Well, yeah. I mean, in this instance, well, I guess as Purdy mentioned, like at this point, it's par for the course. But like this is an instance where it significantly impacts my understanding. You know, the whole concept of the Bible and religion is faith, having faith that these stories are real. And here, you're, well, we took some liberties to make this story make sense. No. Yeah, and and the thing that upset you about this episode was not part of the historical yeah. story. Yeah, at least eighty percent of the series is we don't know what the heck these people talked about or where they walked or any of that type of stuff. There, I mean, it's just what you think happened. I mean, I mean, down from what they ate to what they're wearing to where they walked or the conversations they're having, we don't know any mm-hmm. of that. All that stuff is just you know just into how they want to portray it, or they're just kind of filling in the blanks with what they think happened. I guess for me, this is just the first time it's really hit home how much how many liberties were taken. Of course, Purdy's been studying the Bible since before he was born. So, like from episode one, minute two, he immediately saw the differences. He came it's out of the universe like, with a Bible. Yeah, <laughs> he did. the first one that he did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Perf- so did I. Performed his own brisk, baptized himself. Yeah. Well, I can. Oh, can you can any can any Christian series be 100 percent accurate? I mean, that's true. I mean, from the Ten, from the Ten Commandments to, like I said, dude, you don't know a lot of what these people did or what they talked about, or what, you just filling in the blanks. I mean, you know, Jesus went and healed this person. You don't know where he came from or where he went to or what he did afterwards. Or he, I love so they're doing I a lot of filling point, in the blanks. To, to my own point, like what I made about the, the pool earlier, really doesn't matter. The outcome is really what we care more about. It's yeah. the fact that Jesus did something to a dude that had ripple effects and. If he in the Bible said, well, you know, I did that to stir up the waters, like, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, I can understand where you're at because and what you're feeling, because I think, well, when am I going to mix something up as reality? That's not, you know, like, like, it doesn't really bother me because I kind of know the show's like historical fiction. But there are some areas where I was like, oh, did they have to, you know, go that far? Because it could get mixed in with someone's historical knowledge. So I do just wonder about that, but it doesn't really bother me overall. But this this episode was a little bit bigger on that. So interesting. So do you think that, I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to someone that's a new Christian or someone maybe not as educated as a Christian and they see these series. And I always think about that. I see it on movies and sometimes these historical documentaries. They think that everything that happened in that thing is 100% accurate. This is probably what they wore, what they and say walk away with these misconceptions of maybe know, day-to-day should, life at this time frame. Maybe there should be a disclaimer like at the beginning of each episode instead of just the very first episode. And I can't even remember what it said, but that way it, it really drills at home because we've talked about well, they probably want people to go read and right, study yeah. and figure out. Well, that that is great, but it would be good if maybe there was a reminder of that rather than I mean, how many episodes has it been since we saw that disclaimer now? A lot. I mean, imagine imagine reading the Harry Potter books. Imagine reading the Harry Potter books and then and then watching the movie 
and like a, a core aspect like like Hagrid got left out of the book or left out of the movie and then you go back and read the book and you're like what what the hell this is like this is a big deal right so so like you said as, as a, a person newly stepping into this how do, how do I feel about that I think, though, ultimately, you just got to realize, like, the point you guys made. There is a bigger, you know, the big overarching points that are being made are valid. You know, the the, the events happen to some degree. But like Jason said, did Matthew say this? Did Simon say that? Did he eat this? That's made up. So I think that's just where you got to keep the perspective with all of this stuff. So yeah. I think, you know, it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. There's five different versions of tradition about simon the zealot well you know and there's if there's liberties in the show i i just think it highlights the importance for everybody to like go back and check stuff out go back and see what the early information said i think that's a good you know principle to live by regardless fact check things you know i i think they're doing an outstanding job with the portrayal of jesus as a whole and i yeah like you said that's the most important part of the show so if they get that right you know maybe i don't care about some of this other stuff as much that's the thing even even knowing that you know there's that part that had the liberties i'm still i'm still happy with it It doesn't make me like the show any less it just you know it, it hammers home that i need to keep that in the back of my mind as i'm going through this yeah that's good and I, I think i brought this up in season one is just the overarching message regardless of the liberties is still a positive one whether you believe in miracles and everything else, there's still good principles to live by, good lessons to take away from these episodes. And it's still a, a good show that's enjoyable to consume and, and to watch. So regardless of liberties or accuracies, it's thought-provoking and there's an overarching moral message that I think gets portrayed. We drove Jason to beer number two. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about it, man. It came from Missouri, so I was like... Ooh, what is that? <laughs> Mother's Brewing from Springfield, Missouri. Oh. I went back to Missouri. I always bring it. It's Winter Grind. It's like a, it's like a coffee porter. Okay. One thing I do want to uh, mention, I, I, maybe you guys mentioned it and when I was frozen, but when Jesus is doing his March of the Idiots to the pool, he walks <laughs> in... He, he walks in past people being crucified and like... That's a, like one of the very first clear moments where Jesus, like they show that Jesus kind of recognizes like, oh boy. And it leads to the question of does he or doesn't he know what's coming? And, you know, we can, we can, we can talk through that left and right, but I think you guys have made me think that he does have some understanding of what's coming. I think that's what they were trying to portray with that too. Cause it, it's a very noticeable and it's just a moment but he has a very noticeable look of concern on his face. When he's doing that. It's like, ooh, ooh, that looks I, rough. I, I, I agree. I mean, it, I mean, just just enough that they, I mean, the scene kind of shows him taking a pause and just kind of looking right there. Like this is, he knows what's going to happen to him. This is going to be, and I do yeah. agree with you. You said something a little bit earlier, Nick. You think to be a little more screaming involved. I mean, someone's getting nails hammered into their, their feet and their hands. It wouldn't be just like, oh, I mean, there'd be some, serious agony going on there some some blood curdling screws yeah well what about this a lot of the times when they took somebody to the cross they had basically beat them with the cat of nine tails first and they'll they'll beat them I, apparently they were like masters of beating somebody with like an inch of their <laughs> life 
So <laughs> if they're already in shock, would they still be screaming Register. or would they not? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. What do that's you a, think? That's a solid question. Yeah. You're almost dead anyway. So are you really going to scream? Maybe they're nope. so hyped up on. Well, you think even if you were in shock, you'd feel that. I don't know. Adrenaline. I don't know. We need a I medical think I risk somewhere that those guys who did the beatings that if they killed somebody that they actually got punished. Yeah. yeah. So then they were actually were really, like you said, really good at bringing you before an inch of your life. I've not heard that before. That's wicked. That's pure evil. And then if they didn't kill somebody on the cross, though, like if somebody survived the cross, they were killed. So when they start resorting to breaking legs and stuff there after in the afternoon because they want to go home for dinner. Yeah. They, they did not want to accidentally let somebody through and then have to answer for that. Wait. So what about the guy who crucified Jesus? They Duh. killed him. But uh, uh, oh, kind of, sort of, right? Um, he, was he died. And they pulled the body down. Yeah, he like jabbed three, with the spear and all that. But like three or four days later, when like you see Jesus walking around, like did they go hunt down the Roman and kill him? I've never heard anything about that, so I'm not sure. I guess he did die, so he did do his job. But like, yeah, there was water that came out of the the hole that the spear pierced. That's evidence of suffocation. That's a medical condition today. So I don't know. Does the scripture say it was water? Yeah. If you look, it says like it says blood and water, and I I guess it's like plural. I can't remember what we'll have to look it up when we get to that episode. But it says a a mixture of blood and water ran down. And that whoa, Nathan, foreshadowing. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I I think we all know where this is headed. Well, um, I didn't know. Thanks, Nick. Back to your point on. Did Jesus know what was going to happen? I think they're probably basing that scene where he walks by the cross and the idea that he knows what's coming for him off of. There's a story in the Gospels where he tells the disciples he's going to die and they kind of don't get it. So I think they probably took, okay, he knows what's going to happen to him and they're putting that on screen. There's a story where he's like crying in a garden where he's like starting to become overwhelmed or something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right before he gets arrested. I wonder if they show that. Little, and he has a little conversation with, with them, Satan. Oh, I was impressed that there was actually blood in the scene. So I'm wondering, okay, how far are they going to take the crucifixion? I mean, dude, are we going to get some Passion of the Christ level stuff? I don't know. I mean, Christ. If they're going way over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if it's factual. Yeah. I, I'm curious to see what they'll do. Well, it's not a good thing. I mean, and when you look at it, I mean, they're crucifying people. I mean, it's not a pleasant thing that's happened right there. Here's what I've been thinking. So the name of the show is The Chosen. So ultimately, the show is about the disciples, right? More about them, less about Jesus. So they could very easily like gloss over the whole Passion of the Christ type events. And like he gets beaten, and then the next scene he's on the cross. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's how I perceive this going down. Which, which I think they could, because I think it's already... I mean, even non-believers know that Jesus is going to get crucified. So, I mean, uh, you really could word. just spoilers. Not even. Sh- yeah. I mean, but, I mean, that's it, common knowledge. I mean, if you don't know any Bible stories, you know that, right? And so then they could just leave that whole crucifixion scene out, and people would still know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll be curious to see. I think that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I'll be curious to see what they do. Oh yeah, you'll be curious to see what they do. Like you haven't already watched the episode. Well, that's like you- several seasons away. I don't think they even made it yet, have they? No, I mean they're they're planning yeah. seven, maybe eight. I I've heard seven, and I've heard eight seasons. So he gets money. We're not get, 
And I've heard the, the crucifixion this season. I've heard the crucifixion might be the second to last season. We've so, got a long ways to go, man. Before we start getting to that part, you ain't even made people mad yet. Yeah, so I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking it was episode eight of this season, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got a question for you guys. I found this interesting. Okay, so when Jesus heals that guy at the pool, John is standing there. John pulls out a notebook and he starts writing in it. I thought that was odd because John's gospel is supposed to be the last one that was written. But I wondered, do you think those guys had journals or notes or something that they based their actual gospels off of later? Is it feasible to think that they remembered stuff better because they actually have journals from that time, but that's not what they released to the public. They rewrote it. Was journaling think, a common practice? That's where I think it's possible, but probably not probable for everyone. Again, someone like Matthew, who's portrayed as being meticulous, somebody that is used to taking notes on a daily basis, writing and transcribing things regularly as a tax collector. Yeah, I could see that making a pretty short leap to get from point A to point B there. Others that are fishermen by trade, maybe not so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, John's a fisherman by trade, right? Mm -hmm. So hmm, that's interesting because he can write. That probably would be unlikely. <laughs> But don't some Christians today believe that journaling helps you get closer, helps you with your spiritual journey? Yeah. I know a lot of churches kind of teach that. So when did that start? Is that but that's, something that comes you know, from, that's like from a, that time frame? That's like a practicality thing. I mean, there's no actual theological teaching or doctrine that says, you know, journaling is something you need to do. So it's it's more like they thought it was a good thing or a helpful thing. I don't know how long they've been doing it, but I've heard that taught. Yeah. But you can even see I me mean, outside of that. I mean, if you look at, I mean, key events, things happen. People write that stuff in the back of their family Bible, but there's something kind of, and so you have a lot of families have where family members actually take notes of something or done something and they wrote mm -hmm. that down. So, I mean. Well, let me ask this question. Did you guys journal on 9-11? Did you journal during COVID? So I journaled. Oh, go ahead. I was actually raised a Mormon. So we're actually taught to journal every day. So when I stopped going to church, I stopped drinking. I thought aliens didn't have to take notes. <laughs> so right? Mormons, aliens? They keep track uh, of that. Je man. They, spend a lot, they spend a lot of resources on, on that material, like families and all that, and people's journals. And All right. I don't know if aliens necessarily are involved in Mormonism. I guess you could answer that question. I know. We've had this discussion before, yeah. Okay. Jehovah Witness has something to do with UFOs or something. Zulu or Zeb or whatever the <laughs> so, Zulu food. I guess I never heard that one. I've gone through phases where I've journaled before. I mean, like I I remember going through a uh engagement that ended when I was like 22. John knows what I'm talking about. I journaled during that time. Other times I wrote songs. Like when I was moving to Texas, when I left Indiana, it was my hometown. I wrote some songs about that. And there's other there's other times where I've picked up journaling. So I guess this is all speculation, but I would think that if I thought I was following around the Messiah, I might, I would at least think about journaling again because I'd want to remember it. So I, I guess it's something that makes sense, but it's all speculation. What's the difference between a journal and a diary? A lot of people do make do diaries. I, mean, I don't it's, know. It's essentially the same thing. I think a guy would just... Girl. 
Yeah, yeah, it's just, just a name change. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to say I have a diary. I have a journal. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I also think an interesting point with this, too, in at least with the show, you know, the, the group of disciples that were portrayed as fishermen all come from a Jewish background where they've had schooling. They know how to read. They know how to write. So it's not inconceivable, at least from the show perspective, that he would take notes. I just don't think that it would necessarily be a common practice as a fisherman to be toting around a, you know, a notebook and something to write with. But uh, again, I don't know. That wouldn't have calculations in it. Like I caught this many fish today and I made this much money or that probably be more realistic for a fisherman to have that kind of data in there, how much he caught or where he caught it at or what date and where he was at when he caught that. The other thing it's realistic. If I saw Jesus like heal a crippled dude, I'm not going to pull out my diary and instantly start writing. Like I'm going to be like, oh snap! Do you, do you see this? Like I'm about to be grade A hype team, trying to be like, dude, did you see that? It's not a new thing. They've already seen him heal people a bunch of times already. I could see them writing down like when okay, he's, he's teaching. You know, that's the kind of thing. Like, okay, I want to learn from this guy. I'm going to take notes. So I guess I could see them when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, like his famous sermon. I could see somebody writing that down. In this case in the show, I guess maybe it'd be like, you're going to sleep in your tent, and before you go to bed, you write it down. That makes sense. Yeah. But Plus these, they're like know. traveling, right? They're on like a, I, I want to call it a mission, but they're not a, a mission. Uh, what's the thing the Mormons do? Aliens? It's not a mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I guess you <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess maybe that is right, but like I would imagine if, if you're a missionary, you're on a mission. Yeah, okay. nails are supposed to be able to do it for two years of life. That's good. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I if saw I you going did to church that time, so I didn't go. <laughs> is it? I, that's I, why I, you I, left, I, right? I journal that. No, I, my family just kind of stopped going, so I stopped going. Oh, uh, I I swore support, at one point. Ones that are real religious, they actually save money up for that and everything. And they uh, go away. I think it's two years. We've got we've got friends we went to school with who did that. Yeah, yeah. When you go to the church, and if, if you go if you go to a Mormon church, the males who did do a mission trip, it's like they're elevated at this like higher bracket. Everybody's like, "Oh man, he was a missionary," and so it's always they do things just themselves. Of, and got it's a lot really of jokes like, about that. You got a lot of jokes about that. They probably learn a lot, dude. He was a missionary. They do learn a lot. Position. So they do is they walk around and, and, and talk about scripture. I mean, it's pretty much all they do twenty four seven. Just tell everyone about my missionary position. <laughs> <laughs> Different religion. So on that note, so we see Yanni, the what is that guy? The Pharisee. Yeah, so he's pretty mad at Jesus for healing on Shabbat. But I thought it was interesting that so they say there's this law that you can't you can't transport an object from one location to another on Shabbat. So I thought that was interesting because that's not actually a law, it's an unofficial tradition i believe did you guys know anything about that because later they start trying to trap jesus for doing stuff like not washing his hands before he eats that's in mark chapter seven so they'll they'll start doing things like this but this seems like they're kind of it seems to me like they're kind of just they kind of make it up as you go yeah they're not eating or drinking so if you go over to the water fountain to get you some water or you take your cup over to your table you just transport it something yeah i mean it's kind of like you're I mean, there has to be, I mean, basic things. If you got livestock, I mean, you obviously have to feed them. If you got kids, you got to feed them. I mean, you got to, 
I know no, some of them are probably cooking, they're cooking their meals ahead of time and none of it. Truly suggestions. Them up, but <laughs> not required. So I remember when we had a Jewish guy coming to the brewery to meet with us. He told us that the their the fire law was you can't light the fire on Shabbat. So I think what they did was like light it the day before and like keep yes, it going. Saying, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they skate around it. But but some of the stuff that they try to trap Jesus on and say, oh, we got to arrest this guy. We got to stop him. It's not official law. It is their tradition that they've made or like a, a stretched version of the law. So that's a, it's interesting that someone would do that. Cause I mean, you do that in court today I and mean, you probably wouldn't get away with a lot of that stuff. Well, think, think about though, like, like World War II with, with the Nazis and stuff like that. They made up a lot of that stuff on the fly. Oh, you weren't wearing your star of David. I'm going to arrest you today. Like, yeah. Mm. So I mean, if you're determined, you're going to, you're going to figure this stuff out as you go. You I think it's interesting when you look at the, the church at that time frame. The Pharisees, and that's one of the arguments I've always said that that Jesus had with them was these norms and things outside of Scripture that they were forcing people to do, which actually gave them authority. And so he was opposed to the establishment of this big organized religion group, kind of dictating things that ain't in the Scripture. When you look, you fast forward to today's time. That's the main argument with with Christianity today is they're doing the exact same thing now as what Jesus had issues with. You know, the organized. The, you know, the institution as a whole mandating these things that ain't really scripturally sound. And, you know, saying you're a Christian or not a Christian, they're doing the same thing back then. You're a Jew or you're not a Jew based on these things that we made up. I think that's just interesting that in this case here, Jesus's group, those that are persecuted are now, modern times, the persecutors now. So I think it's kind of interesting kind of change. Yeah, it is interesting. That, that reminds me of the whole, I mean, we've talked about it before, but people will say, well, you can't drink alcohol at all or uh, Jesus only made, you know, grape juice and not wine and stuff like that. So to me, that's like the modern example of coming up with rules that are not actually in scripture. Or you even put it, you tied into nationalism. If you don't, you know, support this particular person, then you're not a Christian, or you don't do this particular yeah. policy, then you're not a Christian. Or mm-hmm. so you kind of tie it into politics and kind of this hyper national kind of views. I feel like Jesus would be upset. With some of that stuff, because, I, you know, I've had people tell me like, well, if you don't vote for this guy, you're not a Christian or I one election. I didn't want to vote or I, I just was wrestling with who to vote for. And people told me, well, if, you know, you have to vote for this candidate because he's the Christian candidate. Yeah, that's the type of thing I think Jesus would be upset about. I mean, it doesn't who you vote for and all that doesn't decide like whether or not you get into heaven or hell. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus to had like he lays out this is what you should do. And at no point during that, this is what you should do, does it say you shall vote for X, Y, or Z? Yeah, like I I see, you know, you can make a good argument for one candidate or the other, maybe from from beliefs or something, but to to treat that like it's a law or you know, I mean, I've I seen mean, they, people like kicked Jesus, out of church for stuff. I mean, not a church I go to, but you know, they kick, get kicked out of a group for doing something that that group doesn't agree with and that doesn't seem to that's like the kind of thing we see the pharisees doing that doesn't seem to be the type of thing jesus is teaching jesus lived under roman law a a period of time where that that was some brutal stuff going on there that was both socially acceptable and expected of a person and again it had nothing to do with 
where the religion was going or where faith was going and what he was trying to accomplish. What's the verse? It's uh, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's it's the rule of the land. You have to comply with it to some degree. You can get into ethical arguments on certain topics, but you know, at the end of the day, you're still in that land. You're still under that rule. You comply as much as you can uh, until it comes to like a breaking point is kind of how I've taken it. But don't say, I mean, I think I, I agree with you, John. They are under Roman law rule there they have the final authority the romans give i think the pharisees a lot of leeway as far as yeah. religious stuff we don't care what you guys do as long as you don't start stirring the pot and making it difficult for us if you guys want to enforce pay your taxes laws or whatever yeah we don't care yeah pay your taxes <laughs> you know don't start you know telling people that they're king or something anything and you see it even in the scripture i mean when they first crucified jesus they're like he's he's a blasphemer i mean jumping ahead romans like we don't care that was that deal with us we don't give a crap right they come back and then so, I mean, they do give a lot of leeway to the Pharisees when it comes to upholding religious laws and that type of stuff. So, in the way that people are kind of living under two laws, Roman law and also kind of this religious law as well. Oh, so it's like, okay, which one of those laws is enslaving them more? The religious they're enslaved law? By both. In the way, I mean, they're kind of enslaved by... Yeah. <laughs> Nick, what are you doing? I've been trying to figure out. Like, it's, I don't have a ceiling fan on. It's the circle. It's the oh, circle. It's all connected? Is that what that is? Yeah. Is this what your alien overlords told you was like a yeah, sign to contact them? <laughs> I wish I could remember the I, I, I can't remember the movie, but it's Rob Schneider and he's like, Oh yes, it's it's all connected. It's the circle. You gotta look it up. It's funny. <laughs> so at the end here we see Simon is about to commit this assassination. The magistrate's out there with his wife, and right before attacking him. Simon sees his brother walking away on two feet with his mat. So that's the magistrate, though. Yeah, was wasn't it Atticus? Atticus. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah commando dude. Hmm. Wait, didn't the magistrate walk out there? And Atticus was going to try to he was going to try to catch Simon, right? He didn't want to catch him in the act. He did, but that was go ahead. He did. He disguised himself. Oh, are you serious? So the guy he was walking with the magistrate's wife. She was I didn't the next catch time that because he talked to the before we talked to the magistrate's bodyguard because he was chastising for looking like a Roman and he told him what he was going to do and so he disguised himself as a magistrate and he was holding they were locked in arms with the magistrate's wife. Oh, and they were coming man. out. I watched that twice. How did I not notice? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so it's Atticus disguised as the magistrate and he's walking with the yeah. magistrate's wife. That's why when she makes that comment, he says like, "Don't push it" or something. She right says you look nice today or something like that. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so Simon, he bails on the assassination because he sees his brother walking and he gives up the, the zealot way, so it seems, and leaves to go find Jesus. What do you guys think of the conclusion of this episode? It's the circle. It's the circle. It's so what the... was in that water? Yeah. <laughs> This is one of my, I don't know, like top three episodes. I, I really liked it. You know, I think at the end, Jesus is walking out kind of like, yep, I stirred it up. Here we go. You know, and then the whole, the, that the way that scene unfolded where he didn't end up attacking anyone. And then Atticus is just like, what the hell am I looking at? Like, I don't know. I just thought this whole episode was pretty cool. It starts off very weird with that montage, but it ends, uh, ends pretty cool. I think Atticus is going to be 
for some reason, I thought about him because he's standing there looking as Simon's looking over there because he sees Simon. He knows Simon's going to try to kill him. Remember, Atticus wants to kill Simon. There ain't no, he's going to show that this group that the Romans are in charge. There's no martyrs. We're going to kill your people. And so he's kind of wanting to set a tone there. And so he, he's ready to go. But then Simon just stops. He's right there. Atticus looks, okay, he's coming. I'm going to get him. And then Simon just stops and walks off. But something Atticus is like, what the heck? What's going on here? And he's looking. That's why I think Atticus is going to do a little more investigating also. because He wants to figure out what happened here with this trained assassin just leaves his duty. This zealot just stops from his goal and walks off. What exactly is happening? I mean, if I was in Atticus's place, I would try to figure out what happened. I, w- I agree with, with Jason on that. I, I also think kind of like the big takeaway for me <laughs> on this episode, and I mentioned this earlier, was just kind of the ripple effects of how certain actions set other things in motion that set other things in motion and it becomes this domino effect. And I, I just have a gut feeling we're going to see that carry on in future episodes, repercussions of just going and healing someone. So I was looking up something because I was like, I know Atticus is in the new Testament somewhere and he is not. There's a guy named Atticus from early church fathers, like 100 AD, but it's not the same guy. So I was like, oh, which new New Testament character is he going to turn into? And I can't find another Atticus. So no. So he just, so Jesus just puts himself on the radar with that healing event, not just the Pharisees again. Atticus, the Romans are going to start investigating to figure out what happened. So he's. Mm-hmm. He just put himself on the radar for both groups. I liked this episode a lot, too. I liked the assassination plot. I think it kind of had a pretty good dramatic feel, this episode. I like detective stuff, so I was trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? You know, we talked about them taking some liberties with the story. Well, I was actually trying to figure out where all they were going with that. So that actually hooked me into the episode a little bit more. I mean, as long as you figure out you know, what the actual story is, you know, there's, there's nothing essential here that they connected that, you know, is, is critical to, you know, Christianity or something or not. So I don't think that's a big deal. I thought it made for a good watch the way they did it. And there's, there's so many moving parts in this episode. I think it made it had a really good payoff at the end. I thought the, the scene where he sees his brother walking was done well, all of that was done well. And we didn't even talk about their assassination drill at the beginning of the episode. I thought that was cool. And I was still trying to figure out who this character was. Like, am I watching like some kind of Matrix episode or something? I I, I just thought it was cool to try to figure out the mystery. I have a fascination with that missing verse of the Bible and that whole uh, healing pool story, just because, you know, I, I can't figure out where to land on it. So all of that combined, I think this made for... A good episode and it made me wonder okay we talked about it's unconventional to take a religious extremist and make him a follower of, of jesus he, i mean i guess you could say that's a modern thing there's a lot of extremism going on in america right now which is kind of disturbing <laughs> but maybe I mean, because of that a whole, yeah, yeah it, it's timely so it makes me wonder okay they might be able to use this character to speak to that and address that. Where are they going to take this character? Uh, what kind of transformation is he going to go through? And are they going to try to speak to that modern day issue? Or, or is that just coincidence? I, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I've already seen 
the next episode. And I think uh, I won't spoil anything, but but just this character continues to draw my attention uh, even more so than some of the others. So, yeah, I would recommend this episode. I did have you, one. You think one this episode time. is a little bit more? Um, actually, I, I like this episode too because it was. Sometimes you watch some of these episodes. I kind of already kind of know what's going to happen. Just, okay, this is going to happen. And this one here, you didn't know what was going to happen because there's right from the training of Simon right to you know the you know the the Roman guards having a little talk amongst themselves. You know Atticus, the whole everything kind of playing into it. I'm like okay, this is typically not what you expect to see in a you know a documentary or and I say keeps in documentary in a series of this. You know, oh, okay, this is a little bit different spin. And so it seems like I was paying a lot more attention this time around than I was in some of the other ones. Yeah. And we talked about the two scholarly positions on what a zealot was. So now that we're at the end of the episode, like, I think they chose the more likely interpretation of the zealot being like this ninja assassin dude. I did have an interesting question, though. Like, if this is, I don't mind it, but is this a hole in the writing? If these religious zealots were so committed to the law, do you think they would have performed the assassination on Shabbat? I think that's the only time that I think that was the only time that that magistrate was exposed was on Shabbat. Remember, because they true. said he only goes, he only goes that that it's pretty much around the other Romans. It's the, same, the only time he's just with his two bodyguards is, and actually he only has one if he's by himself. Because mm-hmm. when they, he goes out on Shabbat and he eats at that his favorite restaurant, so that's the only time that he's. I would say typically no, but given this is the only opportunity you have, they would make an exception. There, there was also a comment made earlier in the episode when he was receiving his orders. Simon was asked, who do you serve? And his response was the god of war. Yeah. Which is a different approach to viewing God under the Jewish religion, I think. So, Where's he yeah. at in the Old Testament? Oh, is that why they brought that up when they were having the... Remember, they're sitting there having the feast dinner and they say... Someday our enemies are going to be sitting at that at this table. Did they put that there to kind of speak to that theme? Because that's a, that's the opposite of God of War. That's God of Peace. I'm going to reconcile everybody. I'm sure there's multiple reasons. <laughs> I guess that's the easiest answer. That's cool. It's like an Easter egg. Well, any last thoughts? I will say I had to watch this episode a couple times. From an entertainment standpoint, highly enjoyable from a note-taking standpoint and trying to figure out what's going on so I could speak to it. I had a really hard time with how much it jumped around. (laughs) So, but it it was a great episode, highly enjoyable, had some Assassin's Creed type themes to it. So, (laughs) yeah, I feel the same way. I I like this episode and uh, minus the obvious aggravation where I had to remember that, uh, this isn't literally what happened, but outside of that, I really did like this episode. Cool, man. I liked it too. I thought it was just a bunch of different storylines here. So sorry, lights went out. <laughs> That's right. It's time to go home. Yeah. It was time to go home I, like two hours I'm actually ago. Gonna have my office before I'm actually I was sitting there one night working real late and everybody turned the lights off on me and locked the doors and like it's okay. I'm just still work. I'm still working. That's okay. <laughs> well, I guess with that we will wrap up this episode. So thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to send us any comments or questions to talk about on free beer. Yeah, free beer, sponsors, (laughs) T-shirts, whatever. You can message us at breweryministries at gmail.com. You can look up Brewery Ministries on Facebook. 
or Instagram and send us a message. Yeah, if you send us a comment, we'll read it on the show or a question. We will talk about it. So we'll be back in a couple weeks with the episode on season two, episode five. So thank you all. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to Brewery Ministries discussion podcast on The Chosen. If you enjoyed this podcast, help spread the word by leaving a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store, Stitcher, or your podcast store of choice. That's why they call me Whiteheads, because of what I do to your liver. Contact us on the Brewery Ministries Facebook page, on Instagram at Brewery Ministries, or at breweryministries.org. Send us your questions and comments so we can talk about them on the podcast. It's not enough to say hello. Visit one of our spiritual discussion groups at a brewery or online. Visit breweryministries.org for a list of our discussion groups. You can also download our free discussion guides on spiritual themes in the book of Mark, the Dark Knight trilogy, or the Avengers movies at breweryministries.org. That those who do the actual fishing are unholy, foul-mouthed, given to gambling and secret dens, and even fishing on Shabbat. The opinions shared in this podcast are the views of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Brewery Ministries Incorporated. Why must I perform? First I perform for quinters, you taught for God's the soldiers, then for, for the slum dwellers. And this, what, what sort of performance is this? All music and sound clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name.